Welcome back to Rockstar 101. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class is in session. We do have to kind of give a warning here at the beginning of this episode because there's a couple of things that we teased in a previous episode that we're not going to get to this time around. It's it's going to be in the future. We talked about what is every band's wonder wall. Shim is going to perform them on the podcast, but Shim is battling the flu right now, so we're not going to be able to get to we're not going to be able to get to that. And then also we talked about Dave Chappelle's new stand-up special. Bill Burr just released one called Paper Tiger on Netflix, uh, and we're going to talk about kind of comedy, entertainment, and being offended and things like that. But that's going to be a whole episode probably unto itself. So we don't want to get wrapped up into that yet. So. Tease, tease, tease. Those things are coming up. The first thing I want to dive into uh, here is a question from Twitter. This comes from Tammy. And if you want to hit up Shim, you can do that on Twitter. It is at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. Or you can find me over on Instagram. It is uh, Brandon underscore goat underscore Coates. And that last name Coates is spelled C-O-A-T-E-S. So if you have any questions, if you have any topics that you would like us to cover, on Rockstar 101. Hit us up in either of those places. And Tammy responded to Shim over on Twitter, and she's curious about your songwriting process and where your inspiration comes from. Which is always one of my favorite questions, especially one of my favorite questions to ask other artists whenever I get, uh, whenever I can get them in a room or get them in an interview or anything like that. And the funny thing is that the question, the answer to the question is usually the same, which is that inspiration comes from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And... The the one of the things that we spoke about in the podcast a couple of couple of weeks back was how I enjoy and I think you would you would as well Brandon uh, asking just asking people questions and sitting back and listening instead of waiting for your turn to talk yep and after you after you probe enough and dig enough you start to get these these nice little nuggets and especially the way that people phrase things the way that people choose to look at things or the world or the way that they approach things. And it usually comes from their parents. It's usually like, you know, my dad used to say this thing, you know, uh, you can't fail if you never give up or bite off more than you can chew and chew like crazy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And these little catchphrases, but people live their lives by these phrases. Ironically, the, on a side note, the parents usually say these things because their parents said it to them, not realizing that the kid can use this as a mantra on how to live their life. And without a little bit of clarification, you can like, you can actually take it too far. You can take it in the wrong direction. And there are sometimes when people actually tell me like, you know, I made some mistakes because my parents said this and I told them about it years later and they went, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I just mm-hmm. meant it like, <laughs> you know, just just, just, just keep on trucking, just work hard, but don't kill yourself for Christ's sake yeah. or whatever. You know, like, and these little, that, that's that's the main, I find that if you get, uh, if you listen to people and you get a main little nugget of, of information that's unique to them you realize that everyone nobody's you come around to this interesting thing that nobody's special but everybody's different and their differences there's these little tiny nuances in their differences that are very special and when you catch them and you turn them into a song you can create a song that has a lot of meaning Mm-hmm. Then you have to go, okay, sometimes if you get your catchphrase, you get your little, your your theme, for example, that, that, that little piece of information about a person or their view on something, that'll give you the theme of what the song's going to be about. Then you have to figure out, okay, sometimes the, the little catchphrase, it makes, it suddenly just jumps out like, oh, here's how it's going to sing. Here's how it's going to, here are the chords that'll work over that. Other times, 
you might say, like, I've sat in a room before with songwriters when you're co-writing, and they say, all right, does anyone have any good ideas? What do we want to write a song about today? And I'll come in and I'll say, oh, someone said this thing, you know, maybe it's time to change. Just like they just sort of threw it away. But I remember thinking, oh, that might be a cool idea for a song. And you have no idea how it's going to work. And then you just start strumming chords and you start sort of singing a thing here. And then the other guy goes, la, la, la. And then someone else takes that chord progression. And it sort of just becomes this little dance that you do. You just sort of basically play stuff until till, till everyone goes, oh, that's a nice bit. That's a nice little piece. Let's start off with that. And you start to run with it. So sometimes... Sometimes the, more often than not for me, finding the theme of what a song is going to be about leads to a better song most of the time. Mm-hmm. Because if you know what you want it to, if you know what the theme is, then you know what you want it to feel like and what you want the person who's listening to it to feel. Yeah. Then if you write a version of the song and you don't catch the feeling, you just write another one. You just write another one that has the same lyric in it or the same theme. I've written five songs that have the same lyric and theme in it because the first four didn't catch it. And then you just keep working on it until you find the version of the song where you go, that's that's what, that's what I was trying to do. So sometimes the best ones usually come out like that because you have a very clear direction, a clear idea. I think having a direction is most of the battle. The times when you get in a room and you just go, okay, we're going to write a song today, you start strumming and eventually someone sort of, you know, blurts out something, some random phrase or whatever. Then, you know, once you get that, then you've got to go, okay, that's the that's a cool little line. That sounds cool. What does it mean? Then you've got to talk about what it fucking means. What does it, does everyone agree on what it means and all that sort of stuff? It, it can be a little bit more of a washing machine effect where mm-hmm. you're just kind of throwing stuff in there and, and seeing how good. Usually what happens with those types of um, experiences is you'll get a really good part of a song. You'll get a really good end of chorus but you won't get a great song. Like the whole thing won't come together really well. Mm-hmm. So usually if you have a direction, it's the same thing with anything in life. If you're building a, a house, you need a blueprint. You need to know exactly what you're doing before you start building. So, and the inspiration for that for me usually comes from people. But in terms of the process, I've found my favorite way, my favorite way by far is to have a really good, clear direction of what I'm trying to write and the emotion I'm trying to hit before I start. Because then it's that thing that Michelangelo said when they asked him how he made David, he just took away every piece of clay that wasn't the statue. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what it was supposed to look like. It's a big old piece of old piece of clay or rock of I think it's made out of stone and he just said I took away everything that wasn't the statue because he knew exactly what it was supposed to be like if you didn't know what it was supposed to be like you would not have been able to create a masterpiece so when you have a clear idea and direction it makes it very simple because every time you're not on the right track it tells you tells you straight away no that doesn't feel right that doesn't sound right that's not what we set out to achieve and then you just change trajectories until you land on the right thing and that's 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 how I approach it and that's how a lot of people who I respect approach it i learned from asking people about that and it works really well so that's that's the answer to that how frequently do you find yourself if you if you're starting with a song um and like you said that you had maybe four different songs with a similar lyric in it it just 
for some reason, the, the version of the song, it didn't pan out the way that you wanted it to. So you ended up with like a fifth version of that song. How frequently does that happen uh, in regards to the writing process of, is it one of those things of, you can almost guarantee that the first shot at something isn't going to be your final product. Like you're going to have to go through multiple versions or is that the anomaly where you know where you want to go, you're able to get through it the one time and having to redo it is the rarity. Usually what happens is you'll make a version of the song. Sometimes sometimes you'll you'll write it and you'll go, "Ah, oh, I love the chorus. Haven't got the verse yet." You give it a, you give it a, a good a good shot and you realize you don't have it. You put it down for a while. You've always got to put it down and come back to it and put it down and come back to it because you can't get perspective without that. Um more often than not, what usually happens is you write a finished version of the song and you go, oh my God, this song's great. I'm a fucking genius. And you, and you play it to a few people and they go, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's good. It's good. But they don't react the way that you reacted. Then you put it down for a week and you come back and you realize, oh, the second verse is too long. And the bridge needs to be a little bit, you know, we've got to change the chords in the bridge. And you come back with perspective. And that's usually how it, it turns into, like, rewriting it three, four, five times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like, it's not like necessarily throwing away the, and sometimes you'll throw away the entire song. Uh, but usually for me, I've been doing this long enough where if I write a version of, if I start to write a version of a, th- of a song that has a specific direction and theme, and I know I'm not getting it, I will, I'll stop. Like if I, if I, if I can't come up with the idea, it's just not happening. I'll just stop and go, all right, I'll write down the idea, pop it away and come back to it in a couple of weeks with a whole different chord progression, a whole different theme, whole different idea. And, um, but usually, yeah, it's basically coming back with rewrites and figuring out, you know, having listening back, just listening. It's like when I remember when, um, you know, you watch the cooking shows and stuff and all the best chefs, they're constantly tasting as they're cooking. You've got to go back and reference what you're doing to make sure that you're getting that the finished product is the best it can be. It's kind of the same thing. Well, that's a damn good answer. So that's for Tammy. Yeah. Uh, hit us up on Twitter again if you have any questions for us. You can always hit Shim up on Twitter. It is at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. Or you can find me over on Instagram. It is Brandon underscore Goat underscore Coats. That's C-O-A-T-E-S. Our next topic, as this episode is being released here in the United States, uh, it is Monday, September 16th, and it's National Play-Doh Day, which kind of got me thinking... Um, obviously growing up in Australia as opposed to the United States, there's going to be some differences. And I'm also curious to know kind of what is the same and in regards to toys, what did you play with when you were a kid? Was there, cause usually there's one big toy that kind of stands out for most kids growing up. Like for me, it was He-Man. Like that was my thing. That was my jam when I was like three, four, five years old. <laughs> Um, so for you down, uh, in Australia growing up, um, what sticks out to you as a kid when it, when it comes to toys since today's national Play-Doh day? Play-Doh was a big one for me. I remember having play. It's funny that there are certain, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, sorry. I think there are certain toys that are definitely geographically specific and then there are ones that are universal play-doh is a universal toy there is no kid on in the world who you don't give a tub of play-doh to that opens it up and goes this is the dopest thing i've ever seen Mm -hmm. you i that i think and i also think it's one of those things where 
it's one of those things. It's like it's like a, a, a sense memory thing. When you start to play with Play-Doh as an adult with your kids, you immediately remember it and you start playing with it with your kids and you're making snakes and you're cutting out little shapes and, and you play with your kids and you sort of like have little competitions or who can make the best whatever. It's a universal toy. It's not boys or girls. It's not like, you know, uh, He-Man versus princess dolls. It's just Play-Doh. Everyone gets into Play-Doh. Yeah. So I definitely, I, I have vivid memories of that. One of the vivid memories that I have and it's it goes back to an interesting point that when you're growing up uh, the traumatic experiences as a child are the ones that etch themselves in your mind forever and one of the one of the two main to- two, th- two things I was deep into one was Star Wars when I was a kid the other one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ah. right? which I think are fairly universal as well so with Star Wars, I have a vivid memory, and I wish, I wish now that I had known, but my, the presents that I got for a couple of years, like I was into it for a couple of years, I got all the um, action figures. Now, if you kept all of the action figures from Star Wars in the, you know, mid-80s in their boxes, they'd be worth a fortune right now, dude. Oh, absolutely. And I just, I just, I pulled them out and I fucked them up. I destroyed these toys. I'd throw them against the wall. I'd throw the planes across the room. And I had this vivid memory of, of um, and I remember thinking at the time, it's such a bad memory. There was a, over, there was a, a, a figurine of a Luke Skywalker and I was trying to get him into the Millennium Falcon, but the Millennium Falcon was a different model. So he didn't fit in. It was, there was, there were other figurines that were smaller that were designed <laughs> okay. for that model. And I was trying to, and I'm trying to jam him in and close the lid. And I broke the toy trying to close the lid on an oversized Luke Skywalker. And I broke my toy and I was crying and I went out to my dad and I was like, dad it broke and he looked at it and he re- he saw immediately what had happened and he said it didn't break you 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 broke it you put the wrong he looked at me like i was stupid <laughs> because i was it was like he was like he was he wasn't like you're a stupid kid for doing this he was just like it's stupid to be this upset yeah, when you know you fault. screwed up like you just broke your toy that's all that happened yeah this is your fault like you just you should know better than to jam an oversized toy in there it's it's basic for you've you've done this before it's it's you you broke the toy and so i i I cried i cried like a punk bitch and i just and i I, and the thing is i never got those toys fixed i had a bunch of other star wars toys i I must have had like a dozen of them the other thing that i've that a traumatic memory that i remember was hilarious to me was that (coughs) you know you get infatuated with certain toys when you're a kid you see them on the tv and they've got that voice like it does this it does that battery's not included impress your friends but it's the scorcher oh dude are you kidding me battle action armor he-man was exactly that because it was the one where if you tapped his chest it flipped over and then it looked like all of a sudden the chest plate was dented oh that was the best you're getting you oh that's so funny your voice just got so excited yeah and i had the same thing i had the same thing with the teenage mutant ninja turtles show bag they had that exact that that ad for a show bag at the Sydney Easter show and it came with a set of Michelangelo nunchucks and I used to make makeshift nunchucks out of two pieces of a broken broom and rope and I would I would gaffer tape the rope to the ends of the nunchucks and they would fly off all the time and smash me in the head right so I would I would do nunchuck work imagine this kid out the front yard just smashing himself in the head every five minutes when they'd fly off because I couldn't gaffer tape the rope yeah, and I'd come back in with bruises all over my face and be like, oh, I had a great time. I'm Michelangelo. He's like, no, you're fucked up. Your face is covered in anyway. So I was really looking forward to the official 
nunchucks. A week earlier for my birthday, my dad had bought me, which we didn't have a, a lot of money when I was a kid. So it was a very big deal. Like once every two years, I get a significant gift. And I got a mountain bike. I had an old BMX rusty piece of shit bicycle. And then one day my dad forked out for a mountain bike. And it had the thing with the gear changes and it was like, you know, it was, it was a good bike. We put it, uh, we put it, chained it up downstairs of our apartment building. And within a couple of days, it was stolen. It was stolen. And I didn't get upset about the bike, probably because I didn't have much time to get attached to it. I hadn't been coveting this bike for months. I didn't know it was coming. It was a surprise. And when when it was stolen, I didn't really get that upset because I hadn't had it for long. And I just, I just, I got upset, but I wasn't bawling my eyes out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so my dad was like, God, my dad was like, God damn it, mother, I just fucking forked out however many hundreds of dollars for this bike. He was pissed. He was like, do you know who might've taken it? Do you know, did you tell anyone it was there? I was like, I don't know. And it didn't bother me. And we moved on. A week later, we go to the Easter show, buy the show bag. I am ecstatic. We're on the ferry coming back home and I've got the show bag and I'm running around the ferry with the nunchucks and I'm putting them down and pulling other stuff out of the bag and playing with this and playing with that. Get off the ferry, look through my bag till we go onto the bus and I realize, whoops, I've left the nunchucks on the ferry. And I I hit the ground. I hit the deck in a sobbing ball of tears, screaming mess, snot coming out, pounding the ground. Daddy, we have to go back. We have to wait for the ferry. You've got to call the ferry department. They were the cheapest, gnarliest plastic nunchucks you've ever seen. They were crap. They would have broken within a day. But I wanted these. And I remember my dad was like, he was he he had no sympathy for me because he was pissed off that he was like, you didn't even care when your hundreds of dollars mountain bike got stolen and you're you're flipping out over a pair of plastic nunchucks. And and he was right. He was like he he was like forget this. We're going home. We're not we're not stopping for the nunchucks. Forget it. Just you got you're letting them go. They they they're gone. And I remember being so so upset about these nunchucks because I coveted them for so long that that thing and I see it in my kids as well where they just get so worked up over something they hold onto it and it's like mm-hmm. it's like if we worked for six months for a promotion or something and you finally get it and you're like i'm throwing a party i'm calling all my friends we're gonna go get fucked up this is awesome like if you didn't know the, pro- the promotion was coming you would you'd be like awesome promotion that's great awesome thank you very much but when you covered something like that kids go crazy over these toys man that's the main memory i have of toys as a kid and play yeah, so we just had an instant like that with uh my kid we Went over to um, my old gym because uh, I was going to take one of the uh, heavy bags and take it to my house and we're going to set it up in my garage. So it's one of the big, big heavy bags. It weighs like 300 pounds. So to get this thing into the back of our car was not an easy task. So we had to fold uh, some of the back seats down and my kid had made a little version of Forky the character from the latest Toy Story movie, which is actually a spork. But she made one when she would go uh, at a summer camp over this past summer. And she had it with her, and I guess she forgot it, and she leaves it laying on the seat, so when we folded the back seat down, that was trapped underneath there because this 300-pound heavy bag is sitting on top of it, and she lost it. I thought she hurt herself where she's screaming for mom 
I honestly, I thought she she slammed the car door on her finger. I thought she like rolled her ankle. Like she's bleeding profusely. No, 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 no. Her plastic spork toy is trapped under the thing. And for her, it's the end of the world because look, look at how heavy this thing yeah. is. And it's just, it's going to be crushed. It's, I, I know it. It's going to be crushed. So the whole ride back home, she is just, just fuming mad <laughs> that we would not take this 300 pound bag that took 20 minutes to get into the back of this car out so she could make Make sure that her spork toy was okay. So we get home, we get the heavy bag out of the car, flip it open, and of course, the way it was sitting, it's fine. It's there's absolutely nothing wrong with with Forky. Yeah. So, and at this point, she's already forgotten about it because by the time we got the heavy bag out of the car, it's, you know, 20, 20 more minutes later, she's already forgotten about it. But then we go in and we give it to her, and of course, her day is now complete because her toy toy is perfectly fine. And which reminds me of another one. Like you're talking about how your mountain bike got stolen. Right. I told you, man, I was big into He-Man from about age three to age five. And I had every single action figure and I had all these other toys. And when I was really young, I remember I left the glow in the dark sword in the yard and the following, like somebody had stolen it overnight and I was devastated because I had He-Man sword and by the power of Grayskull and this thing was gone. I had a He-Man sword. Now that now that you know what, I you just that's funny how that comes up. You just reminded me. I had a He-Man sword too, and the chest plate. I had a chest uh-huh. plate. See that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had. I, I remember being into He-Man, but I don't remember having the toys. But just as you were talking about the sword, and I remember it was one of those ones, and it was it would it would kind of. Like you could squish it, you could kind of like mm-hmm. if you pressed it. Uh, you could kind of the the handle was malleable, so as you you kind of get into like squishing it, and the, how how hard you could squish it would be like I'm so strong, I'm as strong as he man, I can <laughs> fucking squish my own sword. But for me, see, I had it. I had everything. I had all of the action figures. I had Castle Grace Skull. I had Snake Mountain. I had and for like the first couple of seasons, because remember this is the time where they would literally create a children's TV show to make toys like that's all it was for the only yeah. reason for he-man the tv show was so that they could sell toys and i had all of them and then yeah. fast forward to 12 13 years old my parents sold all of them in a garage sale for like 10 bucks the whole lot everything and i was devastated yeah. because to me that's my childhood yeah. I was like, holy crap. So for years, I'm bugging my mom, just bugging her, just nonstop. Give me some He-Man toys. I want those things back. I want He-Man toys. Nothing. And then I want to say it was probably when I was 30 years old. She hopped on eBay and bought them. She got, uh, there's somebody who was doing the same thing that she was doing and just sold the whole lot of them. And she gave them to me and I was, it was a, just an amazing Christmas because I got to see them all again with from neck and neck to man at arms to, to Ram man to everybody. It was awesome. Wow. And then they just sat in my closet for another 10 years until I finally sold them last year in a garage sale because they seriously like there was no need for them. And I started to look into this because the nostalgia aspect is what I wanted. I loved having that nostalgia about it. But I wasn't going to do anything else with them. They ended up just sitting in my closet like they did as I grew up at my parents' house. Yeah. And so I started to look into it. It said if you want to, if you if you find that you're kind of becoming a pack rat and you're keeping a lot of things that you're never really going to need, take pictures of them and then sell them because then you have the photo. Then you can, as you're flipping through your photos, that's when you can get your that nostalgic feeling. Now it's not the same, obviously, as holding something. 
But to be able to to have that picture is at least something better than holding on to this crap that you're never going to use. It just sits and takes up space. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It kind of it's an interesting point that like as, we're actually we're going through. We might be moving house in the next like three to six months. We started going through a bunch of stuff, and it's kind of funny because when I'm emptying out of store, my storage unit, I go through a bunch of stuff, and I, it's kind of hard to just it's kind of hard to make these decisions in the moment because you're going through your old stuff you find a bunch of stuff where you go oh my god can't believe I kept that that's going in the trash then you find one thing every once in a while like I found an old letter from my wife before we were married and I was like oh my god I'm so glad I kept this I forgot she wrote this I remember why I kept it but it was it's been buried in a little box with a bunch of other you know keepsakes and those things you obviously need to keep and then there's the stuff that's kind of in between. There's things that are obviously you keep these things like, you know, a letter from your kid or a letter from your wife from back in the day. Now, I have something like that. I have a I have a napkin that my wife wrote on the day before our wedding that just said, I love you. I can't believe I get to marry you tomorrow. And she and she left it on the bed because we separated that night. Like she stayed at her parents' house oh, and yeah. I stayed at our house the night before our wedding. So I have something, you know, and I've got a few notes from her that I, you know, those aren't going anywhere. But there's the other things that's like, do I really need this? Well, need, yeah, that's the difference between need and want. And I think like, like I have, I have a handful of toys that I found in my parents' garage a few years ago and paintings. And I think like there's a, there should like, for example, you, there should be like one He-Man doll that you go, all right, I'm going to pop, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit sentimental, pop him in a little, uh, display case and you put him on your office desk or your workspace at home or whatever, your little corner where your stuff goes. Mm -hmm. And you have like a, a handful of things where you go, well, I'm not going to get rid of that. And it's hard to kind of decide, like you can become a pack rat very quickly, but every once in a while there's like there's a thing that represents a time in your life and i think that you should keep those because otherwise i've i've always tried to be overly i know it sounds kind of hippie and lame but like i've always tried to be kind of overly spiritual about possessions mm-hmm. i'm always like get rid of it get rid of it unless you need it for work or immediate needs it's just going to you know and you find it as you as you start to buy and sell things that you just need on a temporary basis off ebay or amazon you go man these things are so cheap now because there's so many of them and everyone's buying and selling them you don't need to keep things you can just buy it as you need it because it's so cheap the random things but when it comes to those things like you know pieces of your childhood pieces of your adolescence or your early 20s or whatever it is Records. Have you thrown out any of your CDs? I just sold mine about a year and a half ago because, again, they just sat in a box. I went through and I pulled some out. And coincidentally enough, uh, one of the more recent episodes when we were talking about Tool's album being released, all of their stuff was some of the stuff I held on to because it wasn't available on streaming at the time. I have further comments on that, by the way. We're going to wrap up this podcast with a couple of comments that I have after listening to that record more fully okay. uh, that I think are very important um, because everything I say is very important. <laughs> and the, I think that, but I, for me, music is, there are a lot of records that aren't on Spotify. There's also a lot of indie bands mm-hmm when I was coming up that are not on Spotify, they, they released independent uh, albums or EPs and they're, you know, they're 15 years old and you can't get them. I keep those CDs and I have like once every couple of years, I'll find, I have one of those big flip books where you put all your CDs and I, I kept most of my prize CDs. Like the first time I ever went out and bought CDs, I used to listen to my dad's old tape collection and record collection. But the first week that I ever went out and bought CDs, it was after the, um, 
the MTV Video Music Awards, I think it was 94, and Silverchair played above Radio City Music Hall's uh, veranda on the on the top marquee. Mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Live, and Green Day. Those four bands. I saw them on the MTV Video Music Awards. And I went and bought all four CDs the next week. And those four CDs were the CDs that got me into music on my terms. I was already into, you know, Stevie Wonder and the Beatles and old school stuff that was in my dad's record collection. But my generation's music, those were, it was One Hot Minute, Throwing Copper, Dookie, and uh, Frog Stomp. And I, and I bought those four records and listened to them for like ages. And then, then I was out every weekend buying CDs. But I have to keep those four CDs because those are specifically the four CDs. The, the physical CDs, the ones that I can remember picking up and holding in my hand, being like, and then taking them home. And that was the beginning of the trajectory of my life, especially the Silverchair CD. There's a sentimental value to them. Absolutely. Because I can remember the, the where I went and what the store smelled like and all that stuff. You got to keep those things. The rest of the CDs, yeah, they're on Spotify, whatever. But when you go back through them, like every once in a like every couple of years, I'll go back and I'll, I'll I'll put on some of these CDs that aren't available anymore, and I'll listen to them and go, oh man, I, I remember that song, and I remember vividly thinking, you know, like when you're like 17 and you're starting to figure out how you want to approach writing and creating music, and you listen to another band's EP and you go, there's only one really good song on that EP, and I still agree with what I thought back when I was 17. The other four songs shouldn't have been on it. They should have released a single. And you have these these things that just come back and you go, yeah, I was I was on point back then. I really did think this way, and I, and I was right. And you remember, you know, 15 years later, you're still thinking the same thing. You go, yeah, it's just those those sorts of memories, the way that they spike little little branches off your memory tree those are the things that i love those are the th- those are the things that i think are important to keep like your he-man doll the fact that you have you have so many memories with this particular doll and the sword and the whole thing you should keep like a couple of them pop them up in your you know because i think there's there's a thing where people are like oh no you can't afford to get sentimental life's moving fast you got to keep moving with it and if you are sentimental it automatically makes you an old granny <laughs> you're an old yeah. man you're just you know stuck in the you're stuck in your old ways i'm like nah man there are there you need to you need to keep as much of joy and memories of love and joy as you can. And I think, you know, I, I've made a point of keeping just a couple of each little p- time period. You, you're like, no, I'm never going to get rid of that. That's that's a prized possession that means nothing to anyone else. And so I think I'm, I think I know what to get you for your birthday next year. I'm going to get you a He-Man. <laughs> well, I did keep a couple. I kept just the, the original He-Man with Battle Cat. And I, I didn't really even keep them for me because as we were having this garage sale, this was last year, my kids started to play with them. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, not that she's going to get into the TV show or anything like that, but it was kind of cool that she was now playing with some of the toys that I played with when I was a kid. So I just took those two out and then I put it with another kind of set of toys that we had for her so that she can play with them whenever she would want to. But the rest of them. I got rid of that stuff. I actually was cleaning out my garage today, and one of my goals was to get rid of more stuff, but rather than getting rid of it, I just got lazy and didn't even open up the boxes and just (laughs) reorganized and restacked everything. That's what most people do. That's what most... I do that as well. Well, because I have a ton of, like, Star Wars stuff, some of which I'm going to keep. Like, it's either there's a sentimental value to it, or it's actually pretty pricey, and I'm not going to get rid of it unless somebody's willing to pay a pretty penny for it is there stuff that's like still in the box still in the box um there's there are a few things yes 
Um, but the, the majority of it is stuff that was expensive to begin with, like the cast iron models and things like that. But there's something else that I have a ton of, and it's the Star Wars Legos. Because when I moved to Florida, this was you know 2005, so I was 25 years old. I just randomly was going through, um, I think I was walking through the mall and I saw one of the Star Wars kits and I bought it and I got hooked on just spending time at home putting together um, Lego Star Wars. And I ended up buying a ton of them and some of the expensive ones too that run like a hundred something bucks. And so I've got a big box of all this crap and it's been sitting in a box now for six years. And so I'm starting to tell myself, I'm like, look, it's okay. Like these aren't things I need to keep. I can get rid of these as long as somebody's willing to pay me, a, you know, a decent amount. Like I'm not selling them for a nickel, yeah. you know. Then go ahead and get rid of them. But yeah, there's just a whole box of stuff like that. And it was one of my intentions to do that. But the other intention of cleaning the garage was to move around space so I can hang the heavy bag somewhere. And I was able to do that without yeah. going through the boxes. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna leave it. Did you get into any sports when you were a kid? All the sports, yeah. Are you talking about just watching okay. or are you talking so you, about playing no, see, or both? No, I'm talking about playing because for me, there was not, I mean, maybe it was my personal experience, but the, you, the, the, the two lanes didn't cross very regularly. Like you didn't see in Australia anyway, but Australia has got a different mentality where it's like, they like to school kind of self segregates in Australia because no one can be too cool. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got to be kind of on the same level. You can be like, you know, reasonably cool. And then there's all this. I was, I was at the bottom of the pile when I was growing up. I, I, I remember it was funny. I was, I met this guy at a session a few days ago, just an, an, a new guy I was working with. And I, I, we were just talking about, you know, stuff. And I said, oh, yeah, no, I used to I used to get the shit kicked out of me at school every day. I was the I didn't find a crew to hang out with or, or a club or whatever. I didn't have a group of friends. And he was like, really? And, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I just and, and because now I'm big, you know, I'm six foot three and I go to the gym. So he was like, really? You used to get beat up. And I was like, yeah, I didn't I wasn't like this. I wasn't confident or muscly at all. Like I was a scrawny little you know, little kid that played guitar in the corner. So, and the, and the thing that was funny was, is that with the kids who played soccer and did sports, you'd never hear them talking about Voltron and He-Man and Star Wars. Mm -hmm. They'd be talking about sports. And the kids who were up in the library or in the, in the quadrangle talking about Star Wars or whatever, you didn't see them playing soccer or football or anything. They didn't do sports. It was always very segregated and you, you were only allowed to kind of be in one click. You couldn't cross-pollinate. And so that's why I asked, because I would have assumed when you're like, you're talking about getting deep into Star Wars and, and all that sort of stuff, especially when you're a bit older, I would have thought you don't really, if that's your thing, you're like a Dungeons and Dragons kid and you don't do sports and you're like, they're, the two never cross, but you got to do everything. Yeah. I mean, kind of, um, growing up, my parents got me into all the sports very early. It was T-ball. It was soccer. I think I started basketball around fourth or fifth grade. Um, and then I played. Did you did you have resting bitch face as a kid? No. I, no. That's just, that's something I've developed over time. As the weight of the world slowly crossed your spirits, the resting bitch face came to oh, be. Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah. that's This is a weathered okay. old man face is what you're looking at here, dude. All right. Good, good, good. But no, so growing up, I played all that stuff. Um, I played... 
Through high school, I played soccer into my freshman year. I switched to football my sophomore year. Um, had shoulder problems, had surgery, and ended up playing baseball all the way through my senior year in high school. But um, I wasn't like a regular starter or anything because my you know shoulder was all jacked up. Um, that one I sucked too, by the way. Um, but I was. But I, I. There was one thing that somehow. I could see what you were saying where it would kind of segregate. You kind of had the athletes over here and you kind of had the nerds over here and so on and so forth. But for for some reason, I was kind of able to do it. But I also got picked on a lot in all of the groups because I wasn't completely in one group. I was almost an outsider to all of them because I wasn't fully in, You know, if you know what I mean. So I still I got picked on frequently. I was the 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 athlete, the the kid that played on the sports team that would still get picked on or get beat up and and all this other stuff growing up because I was never quite one hundred percent in one group. So that meant I was an outsider to everybody. But I didn't mind it because I I liked it all. It's it's like now I thoroughly enjoy Star Wars. I nerd the hell out when it comes to Avengers and Marvel stuff. I mean, as I was cleaning yeah. out the garage. Today, you know, what I'm starting to accumulate now again is comic books. I've had to cut back on that again because I'm like, crap, like I'm starting a goddamn library here. I need to I need to slow this stuff down. But then I also You buy comic books now? Oh, absolutely. Really? Cool. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't Yeah, I Okay. Yeah, I I I I'm collecting them now. Um I've got the Marvel Unlimited app where, you know, it's like 100 bucks for the year and you can go back and reread old vintage uh, comics on your iPad. Uh, but then on the flip side, I thoroughly love UFC. Um, you know, I train in kickboxing. Um, you know, I love football. I love all the sports and everything. So, you know, I, I enjoy everything. So I'm not, I'm not going to stop liking something um, for, for any reason other than I just don't like it anymore, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because you're not a sports guy. No, I'm not a sports guy. But you know what? I'm going to let's segue for one second because we're actually at 40 minutes now. I think we should keep going for another 20 and cut this together and make two out of it. Can we do that? We can say if you want to hit us up, you can hit Shim up on Twitter at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. You can always hit me up over on Instagram. It is Brandon underscore goat underscore coats, C-O-A-T-E-S. On that note, we're just going to kind of continue the conversation. But unfortunately for you, if you're listening to this uh, before it's out, you just you're Gonna, you're going to have to wait. Uh, but on that note, his name is Shim. He is the rock star. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.